Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. Brief introduction before we get to our main episode. This was recorded at 16 Lots Brewery in Newport, Kentucky. So there's there's a little bit more background noise than usual, but we thought it was a little bit of a special event. We hope you like it. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. My name's Matt. And I'm Jadrian. And we are at 16 Lots Brewery. If you watched our or listened to our previous episode two weeks ago, uh, you might remember this place. It is not two weeks later. We're just recording a couple of Just about two minutes later. It's about two minutes later. Uh, but we are thrilled to have Christopher Clark with us. Hello. And um, we're going to continue this little experiment of recording live in person and also bringing on some guests. At first, uh, Jadrian, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a follow-up to the beer that I had podcast-wise two weeks ago, uh, <laughs> recording-wise 20 minutes ago. It is a raspberry Berliner Weiss, so it's the same sour with raspberries added to it. Yep. And last time I believe I had the Soak City. This time it's the Cincy Hammer. And for those who are worried about alcohol consumption, (laughs) these are five-ounce pours. So five ounces in 45 minutes is is being pretty responsible drinking for for those who are concerned about our consumption. Yeah, yeah, for those who might be concerned. Well, well, I have a root beer, so uh, no concerns there. Fantastic, fantastic. There's some sugar concerns. There's some sugar concerns, yeah. Yeah, Future Chris will look back on this day and say, that was the turning point. (laughs) That's when they should have instituted the sugar tax. He had two sodas in one weekend. (laughs) Well, I'll do a short short bio. Uh, So Dr. Christopher Clark is an assistant professor of economics, and then it says in parentheses, career track at Washington State University. Uh, studies public policy and income inequality, loves connecting to students and encouraging their futures using powerful economic tools and a wide diversity of applications. Began teaching in 2013, covering introductory to master's levels, uh, won the Media and Moving Images Teaching Prize from the University of Houston. And I, I guess I got to know your work a lot through TikTok videos, yeah. which I'm not actually on TikTok. I actually I now have a TikTok. Okay. Oh yeah. You started <laughs> doing them. You downloaded the app, huh? Well, Charlotte started doing them. Okay. I literally don't even know how to get I'm on and find them, <laughs> but like the videos are making their way on there, and Charlotte had to respond to the comments and say, "I'll, I'll have yeah. to follow you on there." Yeah. Well, you'll follow his assistant. You'll follow the. You'll follow Econtastic. It's just taking the same stuff from YouTube that are shorts. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, all yeah, it's yeah. doing. It's not extra, but um, the uh, but really great videos on TikTok. So uh, could give a follow there, and we're interested, I guess, on a couple different, couple gen- general questions that we want to address on this. One we'll save is what's your favorite topic to teach? That's one that we definitely want to get to. But okay, um, I guess I'm kind of curious what got you into making videos and kind of doing the TikTok outreach. And how did this all start? Well, it starts with a hole. You see there's a hole in society. I think I'm at a public university. Part of my salary is subsidized by the American taxpayer. Uh, So I feel there's a duty not just to teach the students who are paying tuition, but to reach out to the broader public and the broader community. I mean, the economy and economic tools are things that affect everybody. These are things that uh, quality democratic engagement in policy makes tremendous difference on, on our material quality of life. So that's the impetus. Why video? There's a hole, both on YouTube and uh, more recently on TikTok, since it's a, such a new platform. 
I mean, on the on the platform of TikTok, there are four to five PhD economists who make content on there. Were or now? Now. Now. Okay. I know, right, because I know Wolfers is on there now. Well, oh, Econ- sure. is on there now. Econtastic's on there now. So yes. you got up to, you yes. had to up it to six. I had to up it to six. <laughs> it's in that ballpark. Okay. Uh, and there's, but those who are making content every, you know, every yeah. day or at least like four videos a week, there's really only two or three. Yeah. So there, there's just a huge gap. And it's not because people aren't talking about it. Everybody cares about the economy and people put their opinions out there all the time. You know, they say Wall Street is coming in and buying all the houses and that's why we can't afford it. And then you go on the numbers and you don't see that. And you, you find that, no, we just stopped constructing houses. Yeah. And the biggest bad guy would be your your local... Can, can I pause you for a second? I'm going off. There's, yes. no, there's, there's a baby, there's there's a baby, a baby crying in the background and I think it was because... It up? No, I just think if it is, it's fine. But I think it's because the baby was upset when they were hearing the false economic report. It would make anybody want to cry. So yeah. So if we want to fix the world's problems, we have to accurately describe them, and then we have to find policy that actually addresses it. So I'm going to ask you a, a weird follow. Tell us what your first video was. I assume you know the topic of your first. Yeah. TikTok. Okay. I said, "What is what is uh, what's the stock market?" Okay. I started making it right when Wall Street Bets was doing their whole thing uh-huh. with the uh, you know the the Reddit channel and all of these social media uh, uh, collective trying to create these bubbles. So I had to explain within the first ten videos. I'm explaining what a short was. Of course, I'm an economist, not a financier, so I had to teach myself <laughs> what a short was yeah, yeah. as well. And I, I got like. 200 views yeah. after the first one, you know. So this, is, so this, at least my follow-up question. Which video would you pick as your first viral one? So, right, like I know... Well, there's different levels, yeah, right? So, exactly. so, so you start so off... Which one would you count as like the first moment where you go, oh, that one's viral. But, but then, then like later, right, it's more. Yeah, I'll give you two. So you start off and I'm getting like 100 to 300 each. Uh, and it's very exciting because I'm getting new followers every day. I told my students and one of my students was follower number 36, I remember. So... <laughs> That's when I was ready, like, okay, I'm getting comments, I'm getting feedback, it's it's not just junk I'm creating. But I created a video on natural monopolies and why sometimes we want a monopoly and, you know, sewage and things like that. And that one got 4,000, which is the okay. most I got, and that was extremely exciting. And then a month later, I made one uh, quoting Jeremy Bentham and uh, marginal utility, diminishing returns, and why we should eat dessert first. Okay. And I featured a, a beautiful chocolate cake. <laughs> canvassed by Box Air and G. I mean, it was a beautiful video and I got 100,000 views. Okay. So that that was, that's when I decided, okay, I can do this. Okay. That's really cool. And that's, there's a different scale. I, I just am, am redoing some of the YouTube shorts that are going on on TikTok. But okay. that is a different level mm-hmm. of what you see on YouTube. Well, some people see it. I don't see it. Famous so, people do yeah. well on YouTube shorts, but I, I found it really hard for you to enter into that. You know, you already have to have an established market yeah. on a regular YouTube channel. Yeah. You, are there videos that you make that are very popular on, like, reels on Instagram, but, like, aren't... So, uh, relative, yeah. right? So, like, I, yeah. like TikTok is going to have the most views, but, like, one that had, like, a, an Instagram spike but didn't seem that popular on TikTok, or, like, a YouTube one that... Or t- a Twitter one that much more popular relative to its same platform. Sometimes on Twitter, because there's such an active econ community, if I feature a paper and the author is generous enough to reshare it, and they're a, a well-established economist, that can go more viral. Okay. Particularly if it's a bit more technical, and my, my presentation it's not, 
uh, going viral on the TikTok platform. However, by and large, uh, I have a large audience. On yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. On uh, it's an awesome mission, right? And I, yeah. I, I think I, I started about a year ago. I started doing videos more on YouTube, and I'm looking back like I knew nothing <laughs> at all. Like, yeah. Nothing, and like. You yeah. could go through the timeline of looking up the thumbnails to realize when I started to figure out, oh, oh thumbnails yes. might matter, and then thumbnails the progression of them. YouTube, yeah. And then, um, but like one thing that I like learning a little bit recently with Instagram Reels, and then a whole lot more about you know two minutes ago when you were explaining is, I I, I really do need to prioritize getting the stuff on TikTok because it seems like it reaches a larger audience. You can, yeah. Now. I feel today, and, and of course this is just an impression, it's harder to get in than when I first started. The, I think yeah. the, uh, there's just a lot more creators on there, it's far less often for videos to go viral, and there's some macro data that showed that too, that the quantity of videos that get 10 million views is less than it used to be. So who knows what TikTok is doing. But well, if it's going to be, if I'm not going to get 10 million with one video, then, <laughs> I, the then I'm out. That was the point. Yeah. So the fun part about this is we get to record this and then just wait. And Chris has to just wait for the day that this drops. And I'm going to feel the same way. You don't know this. I actually yelled at you this morning in the hotel. Your hotel room is near mine. So I got to hear you making your TikTok. You did. As <laughs> Ryan O'Rourke and I were walking by. Uh, and I got to, I, heard, I could hear your voice from the hotel. And I go, he's making a TikTok right now. You heard me do like five TikToks. Five versions. Because I couldn't get the line right. Yeah. So I, now I feel really excited because like I get to wait. And that TikTok is going to drop one day. I'm going to be like, it's out uh, this morning. Oh, I see. I didn't listen it's to it. It's already out. Well, then I got to wait for you to put it on Twitter because I'm not on TikTok. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to see it and go, I walked by when he was making that video. <laughs> Yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, that so you're teaching. You obviously are very passionate about it. So this might be a tough one for you. Okay. But what is your favorite subject to teach within economics? So my my area of expertise is public policy. It's what I specialized in, uh, and so anything related to that. Um, so at the very end of Principles Macro, we finally get to fiscal policy and just how government functions in general. And we're blessed to live in a democracy where, as imperfect as it is, everybody has at least a vote, you know, every every four years or every two years or whatever, in federal policy and more often locally. And so we can influence the direction of public policy. And if a populace is upset about something in between elections, we can still influence policy. Again, despite all of the, the the lack of democratic representation that we would like, we still have that. So when I talk about where do the revenues go? So the revenues come in and where do the expenditures go? Where does the government spend on? What services do we enjoy? Everyone thinks, oh, we just have a giant military, which is, we do have the largest military in the world, but it's not the largest expenditure by government by a long shot. I mean, state and local governments are half of the government expenditures, and they're not spending very much on, on military or police, relatively speaking. Uh, and then even at the federal level, we're spending more on social services, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Those take up the vast majority of, of our government. And so when we talk about that, we say things like, should we have more, should we have less government? Which is, of course, you can't really answer that scientifically. We get to know pieces that people want, services that everybody enjoys and things at the private market because of market failure won't provide at adequate levels so there was a survey that came out i think maybe a month ago a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. it was fascinating because it surveyed people and said you know should you know, are we spending too much money as the government's money? and like 
the majority of people said, yes, we need to spend less money. Yeah. And then they also had follow-up questions of like, <laughs> would you like to see more or less money spent in these categories? In these categories. Yes. And yes. the top categories that we should spend more money on were Social Security and Medicare. Which is our biggest component. Which is the biggest component. And so they they talked about how people want to spend less, except the things they want to spend more on are the things we spend most of it on. I'm I'm curious if you did a family, but like if you ask people about their family spending, Mm -hmm. if it'd be the exact same, right? Because I I think as a family, a lot of families would be like, oh, I should really probably spend a little bit less and save a little bit more. And then I would love to spend more on vacations. But, like, I would but, love to, yeah, sure, what, sure. But when you break it down into, I'm curious. Well, it may not be. But this is the same. I, like I hear these same sort of surveys of like, okay, well, we want to spend less money. We need to spend less in the government. What should we cut? And then like the top choice is always like foreign aid, which is like the which tiniest, tiniest little. little. And yeah, it's yeah. like it's like cutting pennies off of thousands of dollars. And like then that. when I start discussing, okay, should we send tanks to help maintain world peace, or should we send foreign aid? to maintain world peace which one's better mm-hmm. everyone's like oh foreign aid because yeah. then I mean you might be all of this is very messy so you might be upholding some corrupt terrible government but that's a whole lot cheaper than uh, sending guns yeah. and troops yeah. no. again not to say I'm not making a position on, on, <laughs> on foreign policy but there's these trade-offs there's very real trade-offs so I had to, uh, I interviewed for a job once, and I had, it was a job that was for teaching principles of macroeconomics, uh, and if you have yeah. not noticed in this podcast, uh, Matt and I are microeconomists. Ah, I see. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I really wanted a new job, so I applied for a macroeconomist position, mm-hmm. and I had to teach, I had to do a guest demonstration, and it was on fiscal policies. Okay. And I go, oh man, I have got to teach. I, I was very thankful that I taught labor. And so I actually recognize almost all there's of the stories. There's a lot of yeah, because a lot of overlap between labor. There's so and, much and in macro, terms of yeah. like, what do we spend on on workers that are re- required versus discretionary and stuff like that. Yes. And so I didn't feel so bad in the moment, but it, those are the those are the moments where like, as you see it sort of all laid out, is where you go, man. Politically, I just, you have people from all over the place yeah. who have very strong opinions. They do yeah. about. I never want to say this. Like, there are people who are very educated, but there are also people who have very strong opinions about things they don't understand. Like the idea that the military is not as we don't we don't operate a military with some social services attached to it. Right. Um, that right. social security is a huge component of what we spend money on. Yeah. And just like understanding that data is really hard and hard to get across. And in the since the '60s, with the decline of the Cold War percent of GDP spent on the military is a fraction of what it used to be. Whereas percent of GDP spent on social services is far larger than it has ever been. So, but then I show that graph and then I'll ask the students, okay, should we change anything? And of course some will express the opinion, we need a smaller military. And then some will express the opinion, well, we have to have a safe world. And I mean, as a instructional, as a a principles of economics professor, I I can't comment on either that. Those are largely just Mm -hmm. differences in values of the students. Um, but yeah, having the data in front of you is step one for any conversation. So as you say that, I was just about to say, one of the things I struggled with in teaching labor, and I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, it is really hard to wrap your head around millions and billions and trillions. Absolutely. It's really hard to stand up and say, oh, well, you know, we can just cut, it's $50 million. And in their minds, they're like, oh, that is so much money. And I'm like, (laughs) but at the federal level, it's nothing. At the federal level, it's nothing. And I, and I have to be like, do you know what the budget of like your university is? Like your your university budget is probably 
uh, in the a billion dollars. Like it, yeah, in that not, 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 at the federal government level, when you talk about trillions, yeah, yeah. that's why you, you always show historical graphs mm-hmm. to show what's a normal number, what's not a normal number. Yeah. You know, because when you teach the unemployment rates three point seven percent, you realize there's like a, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are unemployed today. Yeah. Well, that's awful. And then you realize, well, wait a second, this is the lowest we've ever seen in fifty years. Mm-hmm. And when you contextualize it, what's normal, what's not normal, that's how you always have to present. So these I numbers. do something similar in the labor part where we have some macro we. I've known of macroeconomists who, I don't want to say jokingly, but sort of shrug off the unemployment numbers, right? Where they're just like, oh, it's 4.2 or 4.3, like whatever. Sure. And I try to explain to them that, yeah, you know, 0.1% doesn't seem like a big deal. It was a lot of But when you have hundreds of of millions of people, like that's a lot of people. It is. Um, It does matter. Yeah, 1% would be... 1% 1% is going to be, what, 1.5 million? million? Yeah. It's in 150 million yes. workers? I, yeah, and so I would always so say, like... 150,000. Yeah, I go, so you're talking about 150,000 people. Like, that is, that's not an insignificant no, amount no, of people no. uh, that we're so, talking about. And that, that, part t- that pertains to a lot of the debates around uh, uh, the monetary policy and should we go back that's to true. the 2% inflation yeah. rate or should we just take a long time to get there because now we're down to 3 uh, and the difference could be, you know, you could say, okay, well, we're going to get an unemployment rate of 3.5 to 4.5. 4.5 is still a relatively good unemployment rate, yeah. but that's a million families without work yeah. that we could avoid. And that, I think that's the key. It, it's not good enough to be normal. It's only good enough if you have the power to avoid it. So if these yeah. are avoidable unemployments, then this is a serious moral question we have to answer. So do you have more fun teaching principles of macro or principles of micro? I don't teach principles micro. Oh, I have but before, oh, okay. but not now. Well, we'll I have taught. I have taught intermediate micro. Okay. Uh, well, I love them both. <laughs> I mean, intermediate micro is a blast. What I have found not everyone loves teaching it, but that is the cusp. That is the threshold. I, you teach intermediate. I, I have never taught it. I taught managerial, which is oh, close. I love managerial. Oh, it's very close. Yeah, it's very yeah. close. Yeah. But I, I, it was on the list. I before I be, went into this role, I was I had told. Um, uh, Dr. Olu Onafawara, department chair at uh, Susquehanna University in economics. That um, when he wanted to get rid of that, I wanted that class. I yeah. just loved because uh, it's it's the it's most so much fun. it's what they do every day. It's what they're going to do in their jobs. When you start talking about pricing strategies and uh, first degree, second degree, third degree, and two tier pricing strategies and uh, this, all these things that they heard of, and now we have mathematical models to describe it. Of course, relatively yeah. simple algebraic models. Uh, it's incredibly powerful, yeah. and the students' eyes they just they could just start looking around them, and they're starting doing cost-benefit anytime they're walking anywhere around them. And, and uh, not that you should always think like an economist, but <laughs> it's pretty powerful. You should, you <laughs> should, you should, you should always think like an economist. Well, uh, the, yeah, the yeah. one downside is uh, when you're at a menu at a new fast food place, I spend 10 minutes looking at every price point and calculating how many calories am I getting per dollar. <laughs> so the, there's calculation costs. That's yeah okay maybe, maybe you're right maybe you're right. <laughs> uh, one thing 
One thing we like to do okay. uh, to close each one, each episode generally. Well, wait, we didn't actually ask him what his favorite topic to teach was. No, no, it was. It was sort of public policy. Public policy. Okay. policy. I thought that was a transition policy. into the yeah. into the back end of that. Okay, never mind. I want to make sure we got that one. Too. We got, we yeah, got, yeah. We got. So we like we like uh, we talk pop culture references and economics, and I know yeah. you know a ton. Uh, we're we're happy to go first if you uh, want a moment to think of one. But yeah, if, you go first. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to have a public policy one, so I might do a timely one. Okay. When this one drops, uh, this episode, the NFL season is right around the corner, and I I'm teaching game theory again, so I was just redoing a mm-hmm. lesson that will be on YouTube on an NFL survivor pool problem. And I don't know that it's even as much. It's, there's a little bit of backward induction, I think, in NFL survivor pools. So and a survivor pool in the NFL, it is a contest where each week you have to pick a winner. And you may not, and if, you pick a, if you pick a winner, you, you survive. If, you're, if you pick the Steelers are playing the 49ers, so if you pick the Steelers and the Niners win, you're, you're out. Yeah. My understanding of this is you only get to pick that team once though right like that is exactly right, so if you right. Pick pittsburgh to win you can't like in week 12 pick pittsburgh correct again. so there you is lose. Yeah, okay there's a fair amount i mean within game theory on sequential games there, yeah. there's what it's called backward induction and really it's beginning at the end and trying to work forward and i'm not serious enough to go to week 17 mm-hmm. to try to do that but i do try to go about four or five six weeks out yeah. to think through you know which what might the next ones be? So the top teams, right? The Chiefs and the Eagles going into the year, they just went to the Super Bowl. You know, they're probably going to win week one, but it may not be the right time to pick them based on what they're doing later. So there's an interesting problem uh, my friend was in, and I use it to actually illustrate probabilities to start off game theory. From uh, He was in the playoffs. It was the 2014 playoffs. He made it all the way through. Two people made the playoffs out of 1,000 people. Oh. And so he had this interesting decision. So I'll, we'll put a link in the description for that. But uh, survivor pools use a fair amount of backward induction for those who are NFL fans with the season. So do you ever, do you ever uh, model it out, algebraically out or anything? Just no. in your head. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, I'll put a little Excel sheet and I'll try to oh, okay. think through. Okay, here's two or three matchups that might be good or every now and then it's targeting okay the um, often what's really valuable is a team that might be say the eighth best team when are they playing the second worst team yeah and yeah. can you say is that a week where there's no other good options and you try to figure out saving yeah. them so I'm sure there are people who take it I mean I put in I'll, I'll put in 20 bucks on one this yeah. is this is pretty cheap entertainment but you know if you're taking this really seriously and I know some professional gamblers, right? They, right, yeah. You then, I would say you're you're semi-professional gambler. Semi-professional gambler, gambler okay. I would say, yeah. But on this one, it's this the survivor pool is. I'm not looking to make a living on the survivor pool. So. I was sitting here trying to see if I could come up with a public policy related pop culture clip, um, <laughs> and I don't think I, I can't. Like, I, right. I, don't, I got my laptop. I got one. You got one. Okay. I got one. Uh, so uh, this year, one of the best television series was The Last of Us. Course, based off the excellent, excellent video game. And that video game, as an economist, is, is particular to me. As I was studying for the core exams, first year PhD, uh, in that month that you have after semester ends and before yeah. the core exam, uh, we would study together as a group for you know, 40, 50 hours a week. And then at night, I went over to my friend's house and we played The Last of uh, Us. I knew you were cool. <laughs> I love that game. I love that game. 
And so the, the film came, you know, the, the TV show came out, we watched it, and of course the opening sequence is, is iconic. It's just classic. You get to see society go from functioning to destroyed in about an eight minute long sequence uh, with, with very little camera cuts. Um, and that whole time as an economist, I'm watching that, and all I can think of is the aggregate supply curve shifting to the left. Productivity is going to decline. You know, as an airplane comes and crash, well, there goes uh, transportation, and that's going to hurt productivity. And then later on in the series, so to, to recap, when you have a negative supply shock, you're going to have higher prices, yes. higher For, costs. I think a lot of people have seen it, but The Last of Us, uh, there's a fungus that affects people and become zombies, essentially. Right. So the, right. the title of The Last of Us is... The did you last do a of the remaining. On this? Yeah, I did. Okay, I thought yeah. so. Well, okay. there's, there's a lot of, there's a a lot of economics yeah. in it. Um, I did a couple videos. Okay. Not really a full series, but and, um, the, and so it's it's covering like the shattered world that remains yes. of the last surviving humans. It, it happened in two days, right? The, the fungus just spread and society collapsed in just a matter of hours and days. Yeah. Later on in the series, of course, it takes place five years after the fact or twenty years after the fact, something like that. The main character's shoes are broken, and he pulls out duct tape to wrap them. And I'm thinking to myself, duct tape, 20 years of the fact, after manufacturing doesn't exist anymore, is extraordinarily costly, like way more costly than shoes. Like, I, as an economist, I just, that scene, I couldn't do it. That, yeah. The cost of that duct tape is way more valuable than his shoes. What's well, interesting, I mean, you know, you hear about it in the series that they're getting pharmaceutical, like there's Atlanta does there pharmaceuticals. There are pharmaceutical plants, yes, but I doubt there's duct tape plants. Yeah. Okay. So you would, I think there is manufacturing happening, because I mean, the, the, the fascist government has helicopters and jeeps and things. So yeah. there is some, they figured out some level of society to have uh, industrialization, but on a limited scale. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. That's yeah. a good one. No public uh, policy. I got no ones. public policy. I have a new. No, I have I have news clips. Um, I, I mean, this this is my problem. I could, I could share a second. You could share two the next time. If you want. <laughs> uh, I, I let's let's see, you do two. I got a super big public. I got a. Yeah, yeah. It's a public policy, but it's a weird one. So you do two, yeah. and I'll say I'll, I'll double up on the next one. So this oh, one, I don't know that this is really a pop culture, but there's a Twitter account mm -hmm. called, um, it, you know how there's Make a Make a Wish Foundation. Okay, it's like, and I'll, I'll get the exact title right, and we can put it in the description. But it's like Make a Stadium Foundation, okay. and it's a mock account, and this is really relevant to public policy. Oh, it's like a this. mock account. No, I get it. That is about the billionaire <laughs> owners of stadiums it's asking for government assistance, yes. and it is so funny. <laughs> it's just absolutely hilarious. So it's not really pop culture, but I'm gonna have to add this. Make a Stadium Foundation yeah, uh, on Twitter every now yeah, and then they'll funny. post and saying. Um, we're, you know, we're, you know, this billionaire so-and-so really needs your help for coming, for moving the Las Vegas team. Oh, this is a, this is a small account. They just have yeah. 179 followers. Yeah. That make a stadium. That make got, a got stadium. Gotta increase that account. They need some, they need, they need some traffic. Yeah. They need some so views. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's a fantastic one, so. <laughs> So, Jadrian, any oh, any yeah. closing words or no? But this uh, this Raspberry Berliner Weiss was better, I think, than the last one. So. Okay. Well, uh, Christopher, do you prefer Christopher or Chris? Uh, I am I am neutral. Okay. Doctor Clark. Doctor yeah, Clark. Sure. <laughs> well, thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening. And until the next time, uh, cheers. cheers.